Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm Roast John Diggle. Week 15 already, and boy, what a week it is. Joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. We have gone through the ringer, Kyle, this week. This is now, what, a nine-game main slate? I can't even keep up. We were Correct. planning yeah. on discussing, at least at the end of the show, a two-game Saturday slate. Now, no need to do that at all. So at least that's out of the way. All entries already with... Maybe maybe Sunday night we can discuss a two-game Tuesday... Two-game Monday slate, right? Yeah. Or are they... Wait, is it both? They're both two-game slates. Is that correct? They, they are both. We now have two two-game slates, and they're not stacked. Or they right. are stacked. They're not overlaid. So you get one, and then you can late swap in the late game. So it's two fun slates on Monday and Tuesday, which is also why... The Tuesday one is stacked. The Monday one isn't. This is such a mess. I thought it was a 4P and 7P on Tuesday as well. Last I saw, they were both seven because I remember reading about like the networks who like not happy about it or something. Yeah. Producer Adam says both seven, which is what I thought. This is such a mess. Oh my God. What happens if they don't stop testing positive? Nonetheless, we we will get to all that. Maybe we even lobby for spaces Monday afternoon or Monday night. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah, but we'll discuss that later. Right now, we're here for this main slate, which has gotten less fun because some of the important plays that led to game theory discussions were taken off the slate. Now that we no longer have the Cooper Cup or Devontae Adams discussion to have, we no longer have the DK Metcalf without Tyler Lockett discussion to have. We no longer have like Eagles running backs in a great spot against a Washington defensive line that is just tattered and torn not even the eagles defense honestly and which would have been a terrific pivot from cowboys Bengals on FanDuel. i think is going to be the chalkiest one since it's cheap and it's a very good spot and then also the dolphins now that even it looks like george fant the jets left tackles going back up left tackle i should say who's played amazing i believe he's only allowed one sack all year is looks like he's not going to play so just lots of pivots lots of things to discuss so let's go ahead and get started with your decision point the conundrums you run into while building lineups this week outside of having to change your lineups, since I'm sure you also put in incorrectly salaried Cooper Cup into the lineup beforehand. Well, I was excited for the two-gamer on Saturday. You know, there's a bunch of good satellites to a big Sunday contest, and no, no moss, no moss. So those are the lineups that I'm first prioritizing fixing because they, well, think slate doesn't even exist anymore, in fact. So I think the, the decision point on this slate for me is how grimy are you willing to get within your stacks? Because I think this will, I mean, right now it projects 
as the lowest scoring slate we have seen. Like, if I had to guess, the average game total on this slate will be lower. Like, it might be the lowest in two years. Like, the whole of this year and then last year. I'm looking at the totals. They're like 44, 39, 43, 41. Arizona Detroit at 47 and a half is the cream of the crop. Then you move to the Buffalo one, 44, 46, 44, 45. Three. These are insanely bad games in terms of the high scoring environment, but I think that works to our advantage as DFS players, because I think there will be a lot of spots that are treated as gospel that like, you know, the, the Dolphins are going to project well because they have good points per dollar median projections. They're just they're missing volume and it's easy to project them as a good spot against the Jets, but I don't think that necessarily makes them these great plays, but they will draw an incredible amount of ownership just because that's sort of how the, the numbers work out. The same with, say, like, you know, Arizona just being massive implied team total versus Detroit. They should do whatever they want versus Detroit. But I think there are very real viable spots that are, like, as far down as like a, a Trevor Lawrence, uh, a Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo. We kind of talk Jimmy every few weeks. So there are really grimy spots that because the whole slate is terrible, they are relativistically a lot less terrible than they would be on a slate where you have, you know, the, the spot didn't work out. I guess it did on Thursday. We have Mahomes versus Justin Herbert. Had that game been on the main slate, it would have been the most owned game relative to the other games that we have seen all year. But this doesn't have a really, a really awesome spot to target. It doesn't even have really good spots outside of individual teams, that being really Buffalo and the Cardinals. So there are no good shootouts. There are two good high implied team total teams. And I think that makes getting gross with all of your plays, but especially with like your quarterback stacks, really viable. But I don't think it'll mean it's that much more owned. I like a few spots, I think, more than you. I will discuss them throughout the show. But the question you presented was, how grimy are you willing to get? And the answer is very, very grimy. So much so that let's talk about one of the spots I like. Yes. I legitimately think Davis Mills and the Texans against the Jaguars is an amazing, amazing spot. Not only is Davis oh, Mills... You went the grimiest possible right off the bat. Let's get into uh, it. Not only is Davis Mills passed for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, three touchdowns total, I should say. Let's be careful here. But 300 yards and both <laughs> of his last two full starts. You know, this is the Jaguars defense that we are still attacking downfield. And you know exactly where to go with with Davis Mills. Not only, like, maybe Deco Collins gets there, even though a lot of his targets came in garbage time, but 10 targets last week. But more importantly, they moved Brandon Cooks around the formation, a season high, 59% of his routes from the slot this past week. And that's where he accrued eight of 11 uh, eight of his 11 targets from the slot. And so if they continue to move him around, like, you know, also where to get creative and stack him with everyone wants to play James Robinson, which will bounce this off each other because that's sort of my decision point, because even Najee Harris in a bad spot against the Titans front seven, I don't want to play any running back. I'm playing two running backs because I'm forced to in DFS this week. Hmm. None are good plays in my opinion. And so like even James Robinson shock, that's kind of my decision point is do you go with that? And I don't think you necessarily need to. Not only do I think you don't need to, even though the argument got a lot stronger, which is why I'm going to ask you with Carlos Hyde ruled out with concussion. But more importantly, like I think Marvin Jones, you could just try to get the touchdown equity there. I think Marvin Jones is an awesome play. Uh, six, since 
since Tyrod returned, or no, on the year, Marvin Jones has still accounted for 16 of the team's targets, 20-plus yards downfield, which is 10 more than LaVisca Chenault, the next closest receiver. Like, we know where the ball's going to go when they throw it downfield, and we should expect that from a new offense with Daryl Bevel. The question just becomes, like, now do we go to James Robinson because he's going to handle a majority of the touches, play a majority of the snaps, if not all of them? And and that's really why I'm scared. But nonetheless, like, I think Marvin Young's also a great pivot, a great run back wherever I play Davis Mills at. Yeah, I actually thought for very similar reasons that just pivoting off of James Robinson to like a Trevor Lawrence stack would be very interesting. Marvin Jones to me is still probably the clear option. I like I can't imagine you're going to LaVisca Schnault. I mean, like a sub five eight on receiver who doesn't like dominate the targets on his team feels pretty pretty sus. So I would just stick with like a Marvin Jones and then obviously run it back with someone like Brandon Cooks. Not that difficult to make intuitively, but it does give you a ton of leverage off of what like Sure. The Houston gives up the second highest run rate in the league and some of the most yards in the league, as we saw last week, as Penny just absolutely eviscerated them. But just the fact alone that they are an easy matchup for opponents, I don't think makes the James Robinson a complete lock. What certainly helps is no Carlos Hyde. But it's like you said, the touchdown distribution could just be uh, wonky. They could just go to like, what if the Jags didn't score a ton of points is not a novel concept, but if they only score two or three touchdowns and two of those go to the quarterback plus one, at least to your receiver that you choose, or even like, I guess, James O'Shaughnessy, like that alone is probably enough to make it a decent pivot. If you actually capture all the touchdowns, you are killing off what will be, un- I think, undoubtedly the most popular running back play of the slate. Running backs versus Texans uh, draw a decent amount of ownership. Cheap bell cow backs, that does make a lot of sense. To me, though, anytime you get a player who's like averaging, I think, 15 touches per game, it's good, but it's not completely electric. And the loss of Carlos Hyde, although it helps, I don't think it solves all the problems that we've had with James Robinson. I think that is, I don't want to say a perfect fade. I probably will have some Robinson lineups, but they'll be in my lens where I've made pretty high leverage decisions elsewhere. I think if you're looking at the running back position, there are just a ton of mediocre plays that are all perfectly fine. Robinson is the best among them, but is he like, deserving of 20 plus percent ownership maybe even like 25 i don't i would i would argue not that's why i'd be interested in either side of this really i just non-running back sides of this game i don't have a good grasp on what the field's going to do just yet since it's changed every single day every single hour uh right now i would guess kyler murray highest rostered quarterback if you're paying down to a highest rostered quarterback and that's kind of where everyone's coming in right now and without Jalen Waddle, most likely, the Devontae Parker, Mike Jasicki, we know what two stacks will entail, even though maybe perhaps Miles Gaskin sneaks in. I guess it also depends if Malcolm Brown comes back or watching that situation, because then I, then I would actually play Miles Gaskin against the Jets if Malcolm Brown stays out. Do you think the field will catch up to Aaron Rodgers and Packer stacks along the way? I hope not. Devontae Adams, yes, because there's nowhere else to pay up to. But like, Rodgers with Devontae Adams and even like MVS as well. I hope not. And I also don't think so because I'm right now looking at ownership, but also just looking at the projections, both ones that we have and across the industry. And it looks like very clearly, if you just run like four stacks, run a bunch of lineups, you're getting a ton of Josh Allen at the expensive end, then to a, then still some Kyler Murray. You just don't, uh, in terms of how it projects out. And I think of how people have started playing DFS, you don't get the sort of pure pocket passer type Aaron Rodgers player into your lineups nearly as much as you get Josh Allen coming off an explosive game. Kyle Murray also coming off a, a perfectly fine and exciting game as well. So to me, I think Rodgers maybe draws some ownership just because of the game pool. There is literally only nine games. It's a very small slate. He draws some ownership, but I think relative to the Josh Allen and the Kyler Murray, I think, do you think, I actually thought Allen would be more popular, but I like, 
I have no problem saying Murray is the most popular. I think those two are the most popular to pay up for by a pretty considerable margin. And then to, uh, like you said, the sacks just build themselves. They're too easy. They, they median project quite well. So no, I don't really think so. I don't think Rogers lineups come in that popular, especially a Rogers double. Sure. Maybe some people are running uh Rogers Adams because it, it sort of makes sense. Adams scores a ton of points, puts up touchdowns, but are they going down to the double? I, I would think it's going to be way low owned relative to like Gabe Davis, Devon Diggs, Josh Allen. So I don't think they will, and I really hope they don't, because I think that low-owned stack is like way more plus EV than a, a high-owned Josh Allen stack, even if that stack, admittedly, goes off more often than my Roger stack would. Yeah, I thought about Josh Allen as well, but I think everyone will go towards the, what is it, Cardinals 30-point team total. Lions, even in being involved in the highest over on the slate, still just 17-point team total, not that enticing. And without TJ Hawkinson, no DeAndre Swift. It doesn't sound like Jamal Williams is going to get cleared by Sunday either. You kind of just know where the ball is going to go. Josh Reynolds also limited. So which that continues to make Amon Ross St. Brown just like the only player they could hammer, especially after 24 targets in his last two games. So although like I didn't need a run back and may still not, it's just very clear like who to roster, and particularly on DraftKings since we're not really chasing a ceiling. We just are going for the points a la Jalen Waddle with the Monroe St. Brown. Let's get to the fades first because you mentioned Josh Allen. And I want to say knowing the field will likely hover around Gabriel Davis as the cheapest option at wide receiver, unless you have another suggestion, that's going to be my fade. And not only is it a fade, I think you can get good leverage off him with Devin Singletary. We're going to watch and see if Zach Moss is inactive. And if so, Taiwan Jones banged up. Not that he was going to play a lot anyways, but that once again means we're down to two running backs. And I know Singletary only had 10 touches, four carries, uh, barely out carrying Matt Breida, four to three. But just the fact he had seven of eight running back targets, that's how we're getting here. That's how we're getting our leverage in this spot, especially Josh Allen. Yes, full practice on Friday, but just a spot where really, in my opinion, like the Bills can alleviate pressure off Josh Allen. It's a tremendous get-right spot against a terrible Panthers defense and offense all the way around. Yes, they present a pass rush, but they're just so banged up right now. It's just not one I'm scared of, especially given their second-highest team tool on the slate. And so knowing I don't want to roster any running backs anyhow, like knowing he's the lead back of a two-man committee, I think Devin Singletary is a, a pretty awesome play and it also gets me off Gabe Davis, who I want to fade as the cheapest receiver. If it's not Gabe Davis, I'm not saying Rondell Moore is a bad play, but I'm going to definitely keep an eye on him because knowing that that's who was sandwiched targets without DeAndre Hopkins over that couple-game stretch, but also remember during that stretch, Chase Edmonds was out. And I don't want to play Rondell Moore, but I can see him getting there and being high rostered everyone like using that logic and i'm not there unless chase edmonds is not activated even though it sounds like he's going to be activated yeah they uh, i do think he's activated but they also were missing aj green i believe it was just covid list for one of those games i think that was the game he went off in because they were finally forced to use him a little bit it still wasn't like uh like it was 11 target he also had a pretty high snapshot in that game but it was one individual game where they were without multiple of their top receivers in this game obviously they will have aj green and i i agree i totally think rondale moore if he were to come in as popular, I'm not sure if he does yet right now. I'm looking at ownership projection that doesn't have him super high. He's, he's sub 10%. That's not like a, an incredible fade by any means. But 
if he does come in as popular, to me, that's kind of an automatic fade. I think we even we even had the blurb earlier today that was they view Antoine Antoine Wesley as the backup to DeAndre Hopkins or as the next replacement. He also got some more reps when AJ Green was in there. Rondale Moore is just a role player, and the team has been very adamant, unless they are down multiple, multiple receivers, plus Chase Edmonds, as you noted, that they are not going to boost his role. They like the way they use him, and they don't use him as anything else. So to me, the the DeAndre Hopkins absence is I actually we talked I talked to Karain about uh, about the DeAndre Hopkins absence and he was more of the opinion that the DeAndre Hopkins absence was good for Christian Kirk and while I do think it's good for Christian Kirk to me AJ Green sort of profiles and wins in these same parts of the field that DeAndre Hopkins says I think it's a better boost for AJ Green and right now I'm seeing a little more popularity on Christian Kirk so to me all of the Arizona passing attack that isn't AJ Green, if the ownership shakes out like we're kind of opinionating that it does, I would say both Kirk and Rondale would be fades for me because I think AJ Green is most likely to benefit. Like they use him on the exact same dumb red zone fade, end zone fade routes that they do with Hopkins. They also just use him more like on short to intermediate throws as they did with Hopkins. Christian Kirk is the specific deep threat. And it kind of reminds me of like Jalen Guyton, the fact that they had one fewer receiver didn't make Jalen Guyton all of a sudden a smash play because Christian Kirk profiles is that similar, like out there relatively often as a deep threat, but the way that they use Hopkins doesn't really overlap a ton with Christian Kirk. So to me, if it shakes out as Kirk, the most popular, and then Rondale gets some ownership because he's cheap and you'll see more snaps. I think that's fair to say. I would say AJ Green is probably the ideal teammate pivot, which you don't like the name teammate pivot, but I think it works. It describes the the act quite well. So although it's not sexy, teammate pivot does, it is accurate. So I'm going to call it the teammate pivot and I'm fine with that. All right, looks like we've lost Daigle for a sec, so I will keep pushing on. Uh, we talked about fades right now. Another thing I'm seeing, tons of James Robinson ownership. Not awfully surprising. So, how I get they're playing the Texans, but man, how is a Jacksonville team that is so atrocious favored against any team in the NFL? It feels like they should at most be a pick no matter where they go. And as far as I'm seeing the line now on Jacksonville out to five, which is... um. I don't know. That seems a very generous line for one of the most talent bereft teams. I understand they're moving on from a, a very inept head coach, but it's also not good to not have your head coach coaching your team. Now you have the interim head coach in there. So uh, I think that if you're looking at the cheap, probably three down running backs, I, I simply don't understand why people would go to more James Robinson than they would Miles Gas. Miles Gaskin's like the easy one. They're on DraftKings, $200 apart. But ownership I'm looking at has like 5 to 10%. I've checked a few different places. 5 to 10% ownership discrepancy. Do we think their roles are all that different? Sure. Maybe you could argue Salvin Ahmed picks up a few more carries. I don't even know if he picks up any targets, though. But he picks up a few more carries than James Robinson's backup, who I guess is probably like Dario Gunbawale for this game. So, sure. Maybe you give a slightly higher percentage of the overall uh, backfield touches, especially the carries, to James Robinson. But... It's within, I think, a reasonable margin of error to say they play the same role. And despite that, we have a significantly higher implied team total, about three points for Miles Gaskin versus James Robinson. And he also gets what might be the better matchup because the Jets are top three in both receptions allowed to running backs, or at least uh, they're top three in both receiving yards allowed to running backs and uh, rushing yards allowed to running backs. The Jets can get beat specifically by running backs. 
in any given way. They both cannot stop good pass catchers out of the backfield. And because they're always losing as they are the Jets, they cannot stop teams from running the ball against them. So while, yes, James Robinson is in a good spot, at a minimum, I feel as though Miles Gaskin is as good of a spot as him. He's going to be less owned and his team has a higher implied team total. I just think they should be, frankly, you know, for being honest, I think Miles Gaskin should be slightly more popular at almost the same price, functionally the same price as James Robinson. And it looks like he'll be slightly less popular. I feel like that's the perfect pivot, even though Michael Carter, an underdog is, uh, is obviously not in the same spot, right? You don't want to be against the team that is supposed to be beating you. James Robinson, a favorite, Miles Gaskin, a favorite, even Michael Carter should play a very similar role in terms of the overall volume output of his offense that goes to the running back as James Robinson. They've already talked about using him as a, as a bell cow. And they have showed us that they're willing to do that. Look at his game totals going up until the, uh, the injury. And I believe it was week 11. It's, you know, 16 carries, 13 carries, 15 carries, double digit carries in every game since week four. That's good. Really the, the thing we are targeting him for though, six targets, two targets, 14, nine, and then threes all the way back to that same, even past that week four game. So another player that I think is competitive with James Robinson in terms of his overall usage, his overall projection, and he's significantly cheaper, which is hard because James Robinson isn't actually that expensive, but he's even cheaper on DraftKings. So I think there are tons of viable plays that are essentially the same arguments. We make these arguments for James Robinson that he's in a good spot against a terrible defense. His team is obviously a favorite in this game, and he's a bell cow back. But you can say that about Miles Gaskin. You can say something similar about Michael Carter. But James Robinson, for whatever reason, whether it be the publicity, the urban firing, uh, the line moving slightly more in their favor since opening, is going to be particularly popular. Whereas I just don't think that's... Uh, it seems like we're using the same arguments to prop up our favorite player while ignoring that those arguments can be applied somewhere else. So I would say James Robinson, I guess. I've kind of talked myself into him being the biggest fade. Not because I think he's a bad play, but I think the alternatives are equally as good at, uh, at less ownership. So that would be one of my probably spot fades looking at, so I guess we can move into sneaky stacks without, uh, without, Oh, Hey, I think we have Daigle back. I, uh, I made the case for fading James Robinson simply because the arguments you make for him are the arguments you make for miles Gaskin in terms of role. They're the arguments you make for Michael Carter, James Connor. I know he's banged up obviously, but if he does end up playing, I haven't seen his practice report as of Friday, but if he were to play, I still would feel as though at a thousand more, I think exactly than James Robinson. He has such a higher implied team total, such a, a more likely spot for their team to run the ball 35 times between all the running backs and quarterbacks. I feel as though we use the arguments for James Robinson without using them for Miles Gaskin. I think it's the obvious example. Yeah, you can pass the mic now. You've talked enough. And for those listening to the audio too, I kept jumping back in thinking the computer was refreshed by then. And like, I'd pop in and you were still just talking. What professionalism that was. So good job. I appreciate it. I got the tail end of that. And so we can go into that. And do you think Chase Edmonds then catches steam if James Connor's out? The answer is probably yes, right? But I know there's also like yes, a for sure playing Chase Edmonds. But yes, I would think even in coming up into reserve, he's going to get played heavily if James Connor's ruled out. Connor was limited on Friday, still up in the air if he's going to Good play. Enough. Would you play Chase Edmonds if Connor's active? Is that what you were saying? Yes. No, I was I was just saying James Conner, like, yeah, he gets in a limited practice. It's definitely shaky, but we know 
how they were planning on using their running backs when they had both of them healthy. And it was clear Chase Edmonds was nothing more than that pass catching change of pace back. Does the injury shake things up to specifically just shake things up for James Conner? It's certainly possible. I mean, it's even somewhat likely, but I think the risk is about how much touchdown equity you could capture, how many points you could like boat race a James Robinson team by if somehow the Jags as favorites were to blow it and lose and you get nine or 12 James Robinson points for a thousand more dollars on DraftKings. You could easily, even if you rule out most of the pass catching and you say they don't play James Conner in garbage time. He can get over 102 in the first half against a truly atrocious Detroit Lions defense. No defense gives up a higher rate of run plays to opponents than the Lions. Unsurprisingly, they have a win and a tie on their record. So I think I would play James Conner assuming, like, I don't think he's that popular this week because people are so concerned about him. Chase Edmonds would probably draw a lot of ownership. It would probably be, I would argue, better ownership than like James Robinson specifically. I know I'm picking on James Robinson here, but I think there are like, Weekly, there are sort of analogs to this, but even within this week, someone like like Najee Harris, I, they have a terrible implied team total. I get that he's a bell cow back, but so is Miles Gaskin. So is Michael Carter. If I play James Robinson, it will certainly not be alone in a full game stack with Davis Mills, Brandon Cooks, maybe even Marvin Jones mixed in, or it'll be in a unique way, like with Brandon Cooks skinny snacks. I definitely can't play Chalk James Robinson by himself, in my opinion. And then for Edmonds and Connor, the only issue is Connor's priced up accordingly. Like he's 8K on FanDuel. Edmonds is just down there at 6,500. And again, just trying to look for anyone that I want to play at running back. Like that's that's kind of, I really hope Edmonds is just by himself because it makes it significantly easier. Having said that, like even playing with Kyler Murray, I think is interesting, especially since he will, Edmonds will become Chalk. I also wish... I knew if I had to guess, like if I could see one player, like how they're being rostered, it would be Aaron Rodgers, honestly. Um, Cause maybe Aaron Rodgers is becoming popular, but that game in particular mm-hmm. is the second game that I'm really, really yep. interested in. Um, just knowing that the Ravens defense so banged up, still allowing a league high rates, 20 plus yard completions or a league high number of 20 plus yard completions through the air. MVS, I'd, I'd be curious about him. He's been dealing with a back injury, but did close the week limited on Thursday and Friday. So would expect him to get healthy. We know that's where he gets his targets. So he's another interesting option or double stacking with Alan Lazard if MVS is out. And then also uh, Tyler Huntley, who, who's been great, uh, completing 71% of his passes in his two spot starts. And really, you know where the ball is going to go. Mark Andrews has caught 17 of his 19 targets from Huntley. And it's just a terrific spot since, you know, everyone's going to want to pay up for Kittle or pay down for, you know, Mike Jasicki, someone like that. And so, like, Andrew's just sandwiched in there in the middle, and it's just so easy to get game stacks with them. So I just love, love everything about that game. Need a little push from Ravens offense, but nonetheless, like, I think they can get there. And that's why, like, I'll, I'll definitely be overweight on the field in some concoction of Packers-Ravens stacks. Yeah, that's where I feel I'm at. My only concern, which would be the obvious concern, is what this line has moved out how far now? I think it has moved out to touchdown favorite Green Bay Packers here. And like the Packers are a a pretty, they're like an elite defense at stopping just overall passing yards. They're eighth in passing yards per game allowed. Uh, Like I do think you run a lot of like systemic risk of Tyler Huntley just not being able to carry the game. So do you, is this a spot where you are always running it back? Or do you think the, the Packers can just go out and throw like the efficient, the classic efficient Rodgers, like just gets over 300, throws like four touchdowns. Then you're fine seeing AJ Dillon get eight fourth quarter carries or whatever. Or do you think this game necessitates, like you need the back and forth nature? Are you forcing the run back with Mark Andrews? Great. We even had 
Bateman pick up a hundred yard bonus last week on DraftKings. Marquise Brown, a more quiet performance as your lineup showed. You had the really good lineup in the FanDuel hundred dollar contest, if I remember correctly. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you weren't watching the recap show, anyone Daigle's like, you know, I have no reason to complain. And I was like, you know, you did lose your quarterback like five minutes into the game, but <laughs> no, no bill, no bills players and still got there. Yeah. Do you mandate a run back though? Back to the question. This is something, this is something I've been thinking about as well. Um, I think you do. And I think Andrews is my favorite. Now, Huntley, it's a tale of two stories because remember his first start was the COVID game. No Marquise Brown. Huntley had the second lowest air yards per attempt in, of week 11 among all quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And so we just thought, okay, he's a dump off quarterback averaging six and a half carries. He just run, but he can run the ball without rushing upside. No big deal. And then this past game, he actually had a 8.7 air yards per attempt. So he threw downfield. And I think it was because Marquise Brown was back. Brown and Bateman, of course, tied in targets, but we know ba- Brown's the one who unlocks the deep ball. And so him just being out there, even though he's averaged fewer than five yards per target over the last month, him being out there still makes it like an explosive offense that can push back. And so I think I would, especially double stacks. Adams, you know, you can just play whatever, but double stacks, like I think you need Andrews, Brown, or Bateman, whatever way you want to go. I think you need, need it, honestly, in order to like, to justify playing two receivers with Rodgers. Yeah, I think it's totally fair, uh, especially with me. You know, like, I-, I would struggle to believe that Rodgers dealing with his toe issue if they're up 17 in the fourth quarter, like AJ Dillon's getting the 20 carry. So I-, I kind of agree. That's where I fall on it. But I think it's certainly possible. As you said, like Huntley's fine. Like he's, imagine that, you know, we had Green Bay going up against, like who's a, a middle of the road team that can put up some points though. Like any other, like honestly, actually if they were going up against the lions and we were just playing the volume, Amon Ross St. Brown type, like the lions can sort of move the ball. They can put up plays. They're not going to put up a ton of points, but Amon Ross St. Brown, if he's the focal point of the offense, a perfectly fine play. It's kind of like that where you just hope they put enough points on the board to keep Rogers going. And they have the talent even more so than the lions, obviously to do so. And a quarterback who is at a minimum, probably a distributor as we've seen in his two starts, especially the most recent one, two players, in fact, good over the hundred yard bonus Andrews and uh, Bateman. So yeah, I probably do mandate a run back, but the runbacks are really good. They still have their target tree, mostly down to three players, which isn't terrible. And I do think overall you're getting one of the like three to four, maybe, maybe even only three like elite quarterback plays at well under like a fraction of the ownership. If you're playing Rogers over Allen over Murray. I mentioned Jasicki. Andrew's also the good pivot off of uh, Zach Ertz that everyone's going to want to play. And that's fine or whatever. I actually think it's more encouraging if you're thinking about fading him that he just popped up out of nowhere with a hamstring injury on Friday. Because we have a little more confidence not to play him. And if Chase Edmonds become chalk, maybe I slap on Christian Kirk with Chase Edmonds and just play two players without Kyler Murray. Just trying to get like unique touchdown equity there. I, I can't imagine fading the Cardinals offense altogether. Maybe even playing a Monroe St. Brown with them. We'll see. We'll see how it handles. I just want to see what James Conner is because that's really how the dominoes will fall after that. And Zach Ertz, honestly, since he's now questionable, since he popped up on Friday. What other stacks, though, are you looking at here? Yeah, San Francisco versus uh, like a terrible Atlanta defense, specifically against the pass. But also we've talked about them before. Obviously, they want to run the football as much as possible. But Eli Mitchell out again gives them, you know, of all the the games we've seen them play this year, Jeff Wilson, their running back, the least incentive to run the football. And especially with the way they've used George Kittle as of late, it's a very obvious stacking spot with either him or Brandon Ayuk, who has also taken over a larger pass catching role now that they like. 
like, can you even play Debo Samuel at this point? He plays so much running back. And I think unless you really bank on him scoring like one out of every five carries he gets and averaging like eight, 10 yards a carry, if he's not playing like a full wide receiver role, why would you not just go with like Jimmy Kittle, Ayuk? And then I think can like, is it just Russell Gage on the other side? Is there any reason if you weren't to play Kittle that you could play the, I still think number one in the NFL in air yards among tight ends or air yard share specifically among tight ends. Ever disappointing Kyle Pitts. Yeah, we're not playing Kyle Pitts. You just can't. I, even last, just one red zone target, of course, since Calvin Ridley's been out. Even last week, Hayden Hurst came back. Hayden Hurst got the end zone target and the red zone target. Kyle Pitts did not. They're just not using Kyle Pitts. Same for Cordero Patterson. He's not fun anymore. He's getting there on touchdowns. He's getting there on touchdowns only. He's averaged yeah. 15 carries and four targets in his last three games because he's played 65 snaps as a running back and 32 as a wide receiver. He has touched the ball in 54% of his snaps in that stretch, but he's not seeing as many targets because he's just an early down grinder now. So even him, you can't justify it against a terrific 49ers rush defense. Like it took the Bengals three quarters to figure out you can't run on the 49ers. And then when they opened it up in the fourth quarter, guess what happened? That's when the game went nuts. If you watch the first half of that game, Bengals 49ers, like you just thought, oh, like we're not getting there. Like, no one's getting there with those numbers. Garoppolo, I believe, at 80 passing yards <laughs> at the half. And then, finally, when they opened up the offense, like, okay, now we have a chance here with Joe Burrow and everyone involved. Uh, and and to your point, that's the argument I'm sort of making in this ugly week for the 49ers. I don't think the Falcons can push back, right? Ryan has averaged 190 passing yards, 6.4 yards per attempt across his last five contests with only two touchdowns and five interceptions in those span. And even those numbers are slightly boosted from garbage time against the Bucs. But even though I know what I'm paying for, I'm paying for efficiency. Debo Samuel averaging a touchdown for every seven carries in his last three games. Having said that, this slate is so ugly, and there's no one really to pay up for outside of Adams. And the conversation has become, well, like Debo Samuel or Deontay Johnson. I don't think Debo Samuel gets lost in the fold, but I am willing to pay knowing that if he doesn't score a touchdown, like I'm paying 8K for a five-point player, literally, because he has just seven targets in his last three games. He's no longer a receiver, despite the routes being there. They're just not actually throwing it to him on those routes. But I am willing to play pay in an ugly slate, thinking that, okay, like the rushing touchdowns, the rushing equity, and the carries, eight to 10 carries with Debo, is still how we get there, since we expect them to just run heavily against the Falcons. So yeah, I actually still think I enjoy paying up for Debo in this slate. All right. Yeah. On the Cordero Patterson point, like the, the fact that we just transitioned to a full running full time between the tackles player, he now next gen stats has this charted, although I guess it's not really like manual charting. They haven't charted. It's facing the highest rate of eight plus defenders in the box in the entire NFL. Like of all of the grinder type of backs who could just, you know, they come in on third and one and there's every time they come in, they're facing just stacked boxes. It's Cordero Patterson of all players, probably even as much of a symptom as him becoming a full-time running back is the fact that they have two players worth defending. You put a corner and then a safety over top on Kyle Pitts, and then their most electric player after you've eliminated Pitts is obviously Cordero Patterson. So just play the rest of your guys close to Patterson. So yeah, I guess like Russell Gage, price continues going up, but on this slate, I think sort of paying for what seems like not as sexy plays, that's perfectly fine. I think you can get him just as a volume run back, even if it's not really the Falcons push the San Francisco 49ers run back. You're just saying, well, they're probably going to throw a lot. He gets 10 plus targets. He's basically the Amon Ross St. Brown. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Of this lineup. Mary has screwed up for what felt like half the show. This slate has been screwed up for what felt like and was all week long. So there's just like a lot of scatterbrained thoughts going on. Uh, I haven't been as thorough in this one. You can't get them all right. It's been a long season, the longest season ever, in fact. But let's go ahead and end with loose notes and just cover everything there that we might have missed. I'm not going to play him, but do you have any thoughts on projections-wise on Dak double stacks? Very clearly injured. But what if he's not? What if it is a slump? And what if this is a slump buster since their team total has continued to increase throughout the week? I believe they're sitting around 27 points, oddly enough, right now, despite the fact that in it, since week six with that calf injury, Dak has averaged 15 and a half fantasy points per game compared to 21 and a half prior to that. Yeah, I really thought I, I still think that Dak doubles, especially because you you mentioned it. It's like almost hard to spend your whole salary cap in this slate. Yes. Just because so many of the values, like every spot has good values. Devontae Parker is too cheap. You can play him with two and Gusecki, who both project for at least Gusecki does for more volume than his salary would warrant. The cheap running backs, Miles Gaskin, James Robinson, are all affordable but still play good roles. Michael Carter, a good role despite being he's like sub 5K. So I think looking for ways to spend up that aren't Josh Allen's Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, or whatever. Like that is probably, I think, one of the bigger advantages on this slate. And I think if you go to a DAC double, a DAC CD Dalton Schultz, or a DAC CD Amari Cooper, is a way to spend money that really won't be that popular, despite the team total, as you pointed out very astutely, not really being that much different than, say, like especially the Buffalo total. The Buffalo total I see is just over 28. And as you pointed out, Dallas, 27 and a half. They're both projected to put up a decent amount of points and neither of their opponents really project to have any fight in them. It's just that Buffalo has been much more willing to continue throwing the football. I believe they are uh, top three or four in pass rate over expectation. Cowboys ebb and flow a little bit more with their opponents in the game script. But I like if there were a game for Dallas to not attempt to establish the run, it would be with a banged up Tony Pollard, maybe not even playing. I think he's questionable, but probably should be back this game as far as I understand the injury and Ezekiel Elliott who just can't do anything anymore he's just completely dust balled at this point both from just looking inefficient relative to Pollard the whole year but then I believe it's the knee issue that's been ailing him for like two months now and he's been terrible like I think Pat said on the show five consecutive games with like under four yards per carry yards per carry is a rudimentary stat but four is a number you should clear at some point over five games like this would make sense for them to at least attempt to uh, throw on a, a giant team that just can't stop anyone in any fashion they really want to so I, I think Dak doubles are just a unique way to spend a lot of money 
even though admittedly they don't project as well as a Josh Allen stack. We know football is a very high variance game. If you're going to get the type of ownership discrepancy, despite the fact that the teams are projected to score roughly the same amount of points, I actually do like, I think I like most of the non Josh Allen, non Kyler Murray lineups, as much as it feels like that's concerning. I feel like I like a lot of the, just anything but those players that projects. Okay. Dak being among them. You mentioned Dalton Schultz too. I don't think you need to get to Dalton Schultz. No one's going to play Dak. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at the point, like we got to a T Higgins, like we got to a Jamar chase where everyone's worried about Dak. And so like, you can just go CD and Amari, or if you're worried about cornerback matchups, cause you're that type of individual, then CD and uh, Gallup since CD's the one they move around. So I don't think you need to get as far as Schultz. You would just double stack Dak, and you also don't need Barkley. You don't need a run back at all. Just play him because it would be a boot-to-throat game where they put up points since that's what they haven't been able to do in you know six to eight weeks. They've been a terrible offense. So that, that that's why. You don't need to worry about any Giants bland players as well. Yeah, an obvious not run it back spot. Like if you wanted to play Saquon Barkley, go for it. He's been among the league leading receivers and like receiving expected fantasy points, targets, target share since returning to the lineup. It doesn't matter though. Like those are all, you know, beguiled by the fact that their offense can't put up any points and you get expected fantasy points by assuming that he is in an average situation. Playing with Mike Glennon as your quarterback is not an average situation or like Jake Fromm if that's what they choose to do. So yeah, no run back. Yeah, and you're probably right. Like Dalton Schultz is, is probably a bit of a cut too deep given how much his role has been scaled back. Just in terms of when you have three super talented receivers, hard for a player like Dalton Schultz, who's a fine tight end, but not elite by any means to really draw targets. And I think all of them, even Gallup, I think would be a really interesting play. Like at that point, feel free to jam and chalk having a Gallup CD Dak type of lineup. Speaking of the Cowboys offense, I know you don't play on FanDuel much, but Zeke is 6,300 there. Easier conversation to have if Tony Pollard's out. Even if Tony Parr is active and limited, you know, maybe, maybe we still have the conversation, but that's when I ask you, is that just a teaser? Because right now, like I played Zeke last week, we showed him the recap show on DraftKings, and it's because I didn't like 50% Gibson, as no one should have, and I just wanted like the touchdown equity from the Cowboys thinking like that's when they get back on track, knowing that I was paying for Zeke, not because I wanted to, but I was hoping he fell in for a couple one-yard touchdowns. That's what's become with him, really. It's become like even 6,300. I don't know if that's palatable. I have no idea. So I want to ask you, maybe you're just going for like literally two one yard rushing touchdowns since it seems like two yards can't happen. <laughs> yeah, especially like when you look, this is always a good red flag as to like where players are mispriced. Zeke is a thousand dollars less expensive on FanDuel who gives you more salary. So yeah, and he, the reason you would play him is exactly as you said, they have a high implied team total against a team that cannot they, they won't be able to mount a like four play drive, frankly. They, you know, they'll get one or two of them. So you have a lot of touchdown potential on the website FanDuel that more rewards those touchdowns. If you want to play it, like I don't think it's a bad play. The price is just so cheap that it doesn't take a lot for even Zeke, who cannot really muster any long runs or anything. It doesn't take a lot for him to get there at that price. So I'm not doing it. What's really frustrating is I think he's, a, I'm pretty sure he's the same price as James Robinson on FanDuel too. So it's just like, it's just begging you to click him, but it's like, God, I don't want to click him, but I may end up doing it <laughs> by Sunday. That's not a bad play. If Tony Pollard's out, that's like a, a solid play. And did you, I know Corey Clement, I think got more carries or basically drew uh, even with carries to Zeke, but I saw on our recap show, I forget who was recapping that game, that it looked like Clement. It was me. 
did you say that Clement looked like he was starting to get in, like as Zeke's reps were limited towards the end of the game, and then they somehow gave up the yes. comeback? I was I was the one to recap it up, and that's true. So Clement came on in the third quarter because they took a 24-0 lead into the half. Like <laughs> Zeke wasn't Zeke wasn't like he was injured, but remember they still play him. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he only got rest because they had a four-score lead, and then suddenly they did not because Dak just messed it up with a pick six and then also they had a fumble. So yeah, that's the only reason Zeke came back on because it became a game in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's what I thought. Like, I think uh, the Clement split with last week will continue to push his ownership down despite the price, not, you know, the price is pretty good on FanDuel. Yeah. I, I think that's, it seems viable. It seems like it might even be a low. Key. I can't just find on DraftKings. Also to get six targets, he only caught one of them. Like it would have made it a little yeah. bit easier on DraftKings last week. I still wanted to cash. So whatever, I don't care, but but yeah, we get six to eight targets there too. I, I don't think it's a bad play. I don't know if I'm going to get there, but maybe it isn't a bad play after all. The player who's going to get steamed is going to be Michael Carter because now he, because he allows you to do so much on DraftKings salary at 4,700. Having said that, it's a terrible matchup. Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson will both be available as well. We've seen that when he was playing with Tevin Coleman, Michael Carter was, he didn't have a, a he didn't have over three targets in any game. And that was with Zach Wilson under center. When he was having a good game, Carter, before injury, that was, I believe, without Zach Wilson, without Tevin Coleman. While you while you talk about Michael His best games came with the backup quarterbacks. They're all super high target games. Like Mike then even told us, I think he double checked my facts really quick. Yeah, he told us to bring it up on the show. And I think we forgot to bring it up until Sunday morning on the preview show. But like Mike White was like a, a dump off world champion. And that proved to be correct. He had like a 14 and a nine target right. game with White in one of them. And it might have been like Josh Johnson or, or in the other one. But yes, his best games, especially as a receiver, were primarily with the backups. He was getting like three target games before that. Yeah, but we know he's going to get steamed, assuming he's back and active. So how do you feel about 4,700 Michael Carter on DraftKings, since that's where you would maybe want to play him anyway, since you get the reception points? I didn't think he was going to be that popular. I mean, like, I think he'll, I think he'll be sub 15. If you think he gets more than that, then I do think there's a good reason to not play a Jets player. Like that has been, I have talked about not playing Jets players for the entire season and to, to come off of it now at high ownership would seem a bit suspect. Although I don't think he's that popular just because I think the James Robinson ownership holds and there's not a wild discrepancy between the two. And there are other good values. Like I think you are more likely to get a James Robinson and Devontae Parker pairing than like a Michael Carter and some other punt wide receiver pairing. So I don't think he's that popular. As long as he stays sub 15, I think he'd be a good pivot off of Robinson. But if you think he gets more popular, then this is where like the, the cynical GPP bro comes out at me. If he were to be popular, if you just assume that to be true, it's like, oh, you think, you know, you've got sort of a three down back, maybe a little bit of a committee on a low scoring offense. Uh, that sounds like David Johnson to me. Why not just play David Johnson at a quarter of the ownership is what the cynical GPP bro and me would say if Carter were popular. We can't play David Johnson for playing Brandon Cooks and Davis Mills instead. What about, and by the way, just to double check this to make sure we're all correct. It was without Zach Wilson, Tevin Coleman was in the lineup, but both Tevin and, and Carter had one target each by the time he got injured in that game. Gosh, so it's been such a long season. What about Jalen Waddle and Jasicki without Tua? Yeah, like it's the the classic because you know you know where the targets are going to go is the argument. Like you know where they're going to go. Let's say like Tua gets like two eighty and two, and you go a different option, a cheap quarterback, or go other stacks. But we know where the passes are going without Jalen Waddle. Yeah, to me, it does. I'm not playing Tua. Like that would be the easiest uh, fade to me, just because I think they're only getting there because they project 
at a medium well, but were we playing Tua a ton of other weeks? He was viable, fine, sure, but he wasn't going to be one of the three or four highest owned quarterbacks, double stacked, let alone on most other slates. I don't think that dynamic is that much different. I don't think he's going to be a high ceiling quarterback. I think he has like one 300 yard game since returning to the lineup. You're just playing him because he projects in the median. Well, especially because if you're forcing stacks, especially a double, he's the obvious spot to, to play a double stack. So I'm fine with the one-offs, but like if ownership holds in mind, like how popular do you think miles Gaskin is like 15 or less percent? If, Mal- if Malcolm Brown, if Malcolm Brown is activated. Yes. I'd so much rather play Miles Gaskin than any of the than James Robinson or than any of the uh, the Miami pass catchers because the Jets just give it up on the ground. That's what they do, and they give it up uh, not on the ground, but two pass catchers who are specifically running backs. They're like bottom five or top five in a good way in receptions and receiving yards allowed to running backs. So, to me, if you get unpopular bell cow Miles Gaskin as both leverage off Robinson and as leverage off of the pass catchers in Miami. That to me seems like quite quite a good bet. We've discussed a lot of the cheap running backs. What about paying up? Like, what's the highest you're going at the running backs? Najee Harris, the most expensive on DraftKings at 7,300. We've talked about, or at least mentioned, that he has a pretty bad spot, though. One that we should probably, in fact, pivot to Deontay Johnson instead. <laughs> but, like, is there a running back you are willing to pay up for? I mean, it wouldn't be Harris to me, specifically because at 7,800 with a low implied team total, like, why would I play pop? Why would I play popular running back with low implied team total when I can just play unpopular and much cheaper running back with lower implied team total? It just seems like there's not like a lot of leverage we had in playing. Like, if he blows up, you're with everyone else. But he seems like he has a really good chance of failing, given this team has a 21, if you want to put a number on, 21 implied team total versus defense that should easily be able to stop him, as reflected by Vegas not giving Pittsburgh that much credit. So, yeah, I feel like Deontay Johnson would be a perfect pivot. I'm not, on DraftKings, I'm not paying up for 7,300 Zeke. Joe Mix is probably fine, especially if I have some uh, like cheap sort of stack lineups, if I have a Jimmy Garoppolo lineup per se then yeah, at that point, I'd be totally fine going up to Joe Mixon. We're almost out of pay up running backs at that point. I mean, at that point, we're done with 7K running backs. So actually, Joe Mixon seems like a really solid play if he's going to be like the least popular. And are they uh, like that should be at least a competitive non-blowout game. So yeah, Joe Mixon, I think is a probably a pretty solid play. In fact, yeah, they're it, it is yeah. a tough spot after an overtime game traveling in altitude to Denver. I think it's still one of the few home spots that matter. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine Joe Mixon catches too much ownership from the field this week. I haven't heard him talked about much. What about Jeff Wilson flop lag? Is there any potential for that? You know what you're getting if you play Jeff Wilson. You're pay, playing for a cheap running back. You're going to get 15 to 20 carries, and you're going to get no catches. You have to have a touchdown. But in this ugly slate, is that a situation you're interested in? Yeah, if he's not going to be popular, which I don't think will be that popular, especially because he just continues burning people, understandably so. Absolutely not. Like after last week, like we do a lot of galaxy brain things where like we chase because we want to, we all want to be sharp as tournament players. Jeff Wilson will not be rostered. Yeah, Jeff Wilson, 5K. If you can, I mean, they're pretty mass favorites, nine point favorites because a terrible Falcons team. Nine point home favorite who projects to see almost every single carry that doesn't go to a wide receiver. I don't think Jamichael Hayes, I think he saw three targets, no carries last week. You're telling me I get every carry on a home favorite, home nine point favorite team against the Atlanta Falcons. I'm totally fine if he catches. Remember, it's not really like every carry, it's 
it's still Debo Samuel. That's that's what we have to remember. It's actually like yeah. it's still a still a committee, but like you know, you're hoping Jeff Wilson gets the goal line runs is what you're really hoping for. Yeah, and I do think if there's a spot where they would not use Debo Samuel's nutritional running back, it would be putting a guy coming, you know, two weeks removed from an injury into the like let's jam him into the backs of our 300 pound lineman i would still think that role falls on jeff wilson so yeah low on jeff wilson seems like a really smart play in fact it's also the 305 and so if you start with an afternoon player you 305 sir oh i'm sorry we yeah. call that 405 where i'm 405 <laughs> yeah sorry 405 i forgot nfl.com adjusted for us that they can't adjust game pass, but they'll adjust the time zone for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So you can late swap as well. If you have like Packers players in your flex, you have Dylan or something like that, or whatever players Broncos Bengals as well. Joe Mixon, you can late swap and get off and go to Jeff Wilson instead of Mixon, whatever. Because again, I don't think anyone's going to play him. And uh, I'm not saying I'm going to play him, but in a spot where I'm trying to pay down at running back everywhere, I don't think it's bad. And then you strong leaning Deontay over Debo Samuel, or is there like another receiver jammed in there since again we lost Cup and Metcalf that you are trying to pay up for outside of Devontae? Yeah, I would be, especially because I think he's good leverage off of a pretty weak but popular Najee Harris play. I think Deontay just as a, a leverage play off of Harris is where I'd go more. Cause I think Debo Samuel is perfectly fine. He'll be less popular than Deontay by at least a few percent. Uh, Given that I think people are smart enough to recognize that, like him seeing one, four, two, and five targets in his past four games is not particularly good. I think people will understandably adjust for his new and less, I, I'd argue, less valuable role. But to the extent that he's like, you know, still probably five to 10% owned, I think that's probably accurate. Whereas Deontay probably pushes 15 to 20. I still think using him as leverage off of Najee, though, is a more valuable sort of win condition to place on your team than Debo Samuel. So I would go Deontay over Debo. Probably have some of both, but I'd undoubtedly end up on more Deontay. Yeah, I think since I was attempting to jam in Devontae and Cup anyways, at, at definitely Cup, then maybe just swap to Debo, <laughs> but also like Devontae with Aaron Rodgers clearly everywhere. It's going to be an interesting week. It's going to be an interesting weekend because I expect even on Saturday, this news is not over. We're going to get some surprise scratches. Maybe even lose another game or two, but we'll, have, we'll hang our head high and continue to move forward through week 15. Again, we will talk to the big wigs and see if we can squeeze in a spaces for everyone on Monday. So keep an eye out for that. Until then, hopefully we covered at least for the most part of everything that happened this week. I'm sure we missed a couple of things that I forget, just forgot to write down, didn't see, but nonetheless, good luck to everyone in week 15. Any other parting words, Kyle, before we get out of here? No, tune in Sunday noon, an hour before games, depending on where you live, an hour before the games lock, because I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that more news will continue to come out. Or if we just missed any questions you had on this show, drop them. We always try to answer, especially DFS questions, since we get a lot of start sit. We appreciate the DFS questions. So same same channel, Sunday, an hour before the games. Check us out there. Noon Eastern, presented by Applebee's, start sits there, where we will have the most information possible an hour to kick off. It makes sense to answer start sit questions there. Until then, at Kyle Tweets here, Kyle Dvorak on Twitter. I'm at not Jay Daigle, John Daigle, now verified, by the way, on Twitter. We will talk to you at the end of this week. Good luck to everyone. We have three big slates. Good luck on all of them. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.